0: named Beatrice, who drove to hospital, and her face was stained in the mud of tears and makeup um, as she drove there, and she was crying when she tried to find a parking in the hospital parking lot, and if it wasn't for a man, (coughs) forgive me, uh, when my chest gets cold, I've got a cough, I'm not sick or contagious, Uh, it's an allergy, my doctor says, so (laughs) put the ACs off and I'll stop coughing. Don't put them off, we'll all get hot and horrible. And uh, if it wasn't for the man who yelled stop, she would have hit this couple, but she slammed on brakes and uh, wiped away her tears and saw a man uh, pushing a heavily pregnant woman um, ahead of her in the parking lot. This couple, who were heavily pregnant, uh, arrived in the hospital and there was a midwife waiting for them and rushed her into her room. Uh, And then the doctor came and checked and labor had begun and it was exciting. It was their first child. Uh, She wasn't ready to start pushing but she wasn't able to go home either. So they decided they would go for a walk through the corridors uh, just as you do when you're in hospital waiting for the baby to come out. You do everything you can to get it going. Uh, All sorts of exercises and bouncing on exercise balls and going for walks and everything you can do. And they went for a walk and got lost in one of the long corridors of the hospital and little did they know that they passed Beatrice, this lady who had almost hit them in the parking lot. Beatrice was sitting having a consultation about her health. Uh, She had been hemorrhaging and didn't know what was wrong. So, she was sitting there, and they had done some tests, and the doctor was giving her uh, the, the bad news that he didn't know what was wrong, um, that they didn't know what the cure was either. And so, she, he asked if she would be able to stay the night while they co- continued to do some tests and see if they could solve it. So, she agreed that she would stay the night um, and continued in worries and anxiety. Uh, at the same time, during that night, this couple went into full-on labor, not the couple really, just the lady, um, and the baby started to crown, and pushing began. And what was a diff- difficult night for Beatrice was a night of, also a difficult night, but a night of ce- celebration for this couple as their baby girl was born into this world. Uh, the, the labor went so well that uh, in the afternoon on the next day, they were released from hospital and left the hospital the same way that they came in. Uh, father pushing mother with baby now in arms, no longer in the womb. Um, and as they pushed through the parking lot, they paused while the car was reversing out. And uh, they could barely take their eyes off of this little baby, but they took their eyes off of her long enough um, to see that the lady in who was driving uh, had... Tears, muddied makeup, tears rolling down her cheeks. And Beatrice, the lady in the car, uh, looked at them, looked at their baby, and though she was in her own pain, could see their joy, waved, thank you, and drove away. On her drive home, uh, she couldn't help but worry about what life was going to be like. (laughs) No cure for her hemorrhaging. She'd be considered an outcast in society, uh, wouldn't be able to fellowship with anyone, and what was she going to do? This couple went home elated. Uh, they arrived a couple pregnant. They left a family with a beautiful little girl. Now, so why don't you come and read uh, Luke eight forty to 56 for us.
1: Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased and Jesus said, "Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, "Master, the crowd surround you, and they are pressing in on you." but Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me." And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. Arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened.
0: The story I told you is based on the facts of the story that we've just read. Mine's not true. This one is true. Uh, But we pick up the story 12 years later. Jesus comes to town, and, and some things have changed. Uh, Beatrice is still, uh, the, in the history of the the, the church, uh, they've named, historically, they've named this woman Beatrice. The Bible doesn't tell us that's her name, but that's the name that she goes by in church history, so we'll just use it today. So um, Beatrice is still hemorrhaging 12 years later, um, and there's been no cure, except now she's spent all of her, of, of her money on doctors. Luke, who's writing this letter, is a doctor himself, so he understands something of this, and... She's spent all for 12 years. She's done everything she can. Uh, there's no car left. There's nothing. She's kind of liquidated all of her assets. Spent it all on doctors, and she's in the same predicament she was, but she's worse off now because she's also poor. Um, here's a very important man. Uh, he seems to be uh, the guy who, at least in this in this um, synagogue, the guy who orders the worship. So very esteemed man. Someone people look up to. And uh, probably a very wealthy man as well. And this, 12 years later, the school that was born into their family is now sick and dying. And he's desperate. He can find no solution. Jesus comes to town, um, and there's, there's a great crowd of people who are very excited to see him. It's such a great welcome. We see so much um, struggles for Jesus as he goes around. It's such a joy to find a town that welcomes him in where people are just excited to have Him come back. And um, this is the story that we have. And and the story, I want to talk about three things this morning. Number one, the power of Jesus. Number two, the importance of faith. And number three, patience. Uh, Number one, the power of Jesus. If you read Luke 8, and you just read through the whole thing by yourself, you'll see that Luke takes us, Uh, through this kind of comprehensive story where he shows us the comprehensive power of Jesus over all things. And he starts us with the story um, of the the storm and the waves, and he shows us Jesus's power over nature. And then he takes us to a story that we've skipped between last week and this week, um, and he shows us Jesus's power over, over demons. And then in this story, he shows us Jesus's power over disease and sickness. And then uh, uh, at the end of the story, he shows us Jesus' power over death. So nature, demons, disease, and death, Jesus' comprehensive power over it all. And this is important because if Jesus has power over nature, but not over demons, disease, and death, then uh, we've got a lot to worry about. Um, we have a, we, we, you, know, you might expect some good weather, but that's about it. Uh, everything else is out of control. If Jesus has power over nature and demons that's a relief. Um, it really is. But we still have two major problems, disease and death. And uh, how do we get around those two things? So, he's not, um, it's not that good news yet. If Jesus has comprehensive power over um, nature, dese- nature, demons, and disease, that's really wonderful. It really is. I mean, that's great news, but it's still bad news in the end. In the end, You will die, and there is no hope. So it's still a message that ultimately is hopeless. Luke has to show us that Jesus has to have comprehensive power over nature. The Old Testament talks about first the natural, then the supernatural. Let's start right at the beginning, right at the most physical reality. Jesus has power over nature. He has power over demons. He has power over disease, and He has power over death. That message is good. That message is hopeful. And that message is also... uh, huge because it says, well, then Jesus has power to bring us to God. Jesus has power over life and death, then we have to reckon with who He is. Then There's kind of two options. C.S. Lewis gave three options about Jesus, and and they're great. Just looking at this, I, I just think there's kind of these two options that if Jesus doesn't have this comprehensive power, then He's pretty dangerous, and He should probably be banned from our governments and our schools uh, and our libraries, and our bookshops, and our churches, uh, <coughs> because he, he could just be quite dangerous. He, he kind of professes all the stuff, but He's either a liar or a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis would say. Or Jesus does have this comprehensive power, and then we should make Him the center of our lives, because there's no one else in the world who has comprehensive power over all these things. Not even the greatest government in the world has power over any one of those things. But one man has power over it all. And if that's true, then Jesus should be the head of our lives. He should be the foundation on which we build. We should wake up in the mornings and go, Hello, my Lord and Savior. What are you going to use your comprehensive power to do in my life today? I lay my life before you. What do you choose? And we kind of see what unfolds. Um, and so we give him the highest place. So this is the power of Jesus that Luke shows us. Number two, the importance of faith. <coughs> well, <coughs> J- Jairus comes to Jesus and he asks him, he implores him. He's, he's humbled himself. He, he falls to his knees to recognize Jesus as, as uh, his need for Jesus, and he begs him to come to his house to heal his daughter. And Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house, and then uh, he gets interrupted by Beatrice, who um, quietly uh, the opposite of Jairus, he, who, who quietly comes with no one looking because she's an outcast. If he's high up in society, she's outside of society, she's unclean, she's not allowed to be part of society, she finds a way in to just touch the hem of his garments. So Jesus is is potentially wearing a garment that has four corners and each corner with a tassel. It's possible that she's just barely getting her fingertips on a tassel of his garment. There's no ways he'd be able to feel that, but she just needs to get to Him, and no one else notices this. The crowd is so large uh, that no one is aware of this, and Jesus stops the whole scene and um, says, who's touched me? Who's taken power out of me? It's not that Jesus doesn't know what's going on. He obviously does know exactly what's going on, But he wants to pull her out of her isolation. He wants to pull her out of her kind of place of um, outside the camp and and timid and quiet. And he wants to restore her through faith. And so he's creating the scene, which is quite awful. You can imagine if it was you. I mean, it's a wonderful scene. It's Jesus. But it's, think about this, when, when you try and do something in secret and then someone stops everyone and goes, okay, who did that? Someone's done that. Uh, I'll just, I'll just. Um, uh, hopefully, this will make you laugh. Visitors will may make make you leave. Um, I have a home full of people, a lot of people in my house. Every now and then, there will be a um, bad odor that drifts through a room, and I'm prone to going, "All right, stop the movie. Someone did something. Own it. I want to know who was that. Who was that? You need to take ownership of this. And it's never anyone, ever." It's unbelievable how bad our house smells sometimes. On the other side, though, if something good happens, we're probably inclined to put our hand up even if it wasn't us. You know? Well, it wasn't me, but I had a major part to play in it. I was, I was in the room when it happened. Um, but it's that kind of moment. It's that kind of uncomfortable moment of Jesus stopping. And the disciples are so uncomfortable. They're like, Jesus, there's so many people touching you. The, the word there is uh, pressing on, on Jesus is actually like translated crushing. There's so many people around you, Jesus, trying to get a touch. You know, if it's, you know, imagine Chris Hemsworth comes past. We all just want to, like, touch him. I mean, even as a Christian, I still think I would struggle to not, like, touch Chris Hemsworth and walk away and go, I don't know if I'm ever going to wash this hand again. <laughs> um, but I still have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, not Chris Hemsworth. But we, they're kind of... People are crushing in on him. They want to get close to him. And the disciples are so awkward about this moment. They're like, Jesus, we've got to move on. This guy's daughter's dying, and you will never be able to know. I mean, we all touched you. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. There's someone who's touched me in a different way. They have touched me with faith in their hearts to draw from me. I want to expose that because I want to put it on a stage. I want to give it attention because that is a good thing. You know, it's different to everyone else. And eventually, this woman goes, it, "It was me," and and then she starts to testify. She goes, "When I touched you, this is how it's been for 12 years. I've been hemorrhaging. I've I've been an outcast. I've been unclean. And Jesus should have been unclean, except that he she was healed." She goes, "Immediately as I touched you, I was healed." He says to her daughter, "Your faith has made you well. Go in peace." The word there, peace, as the Jews would understand it, peace there is not go and have a good day, go and have calm, go and, go and chill out and relax. Peace there talks about you're reconciled to God. The only peace that a Jewish person could have is reconciliation with God. There was always peace in the land when they had favor with God. When God was blessing them, they had peace. So when Jesus says, go in peace, He's, he's saying, And your faith has made you well. The word well there is sozo. It's the same word that gets translated saved elsewhere when it's talking about salvation. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The message to her is clear. Woman, in front of all these people, I want to announce to you, not only are you clean, but God looks upon you favorably, lovingly. You are His daughter. You have peace with God. Because your faith in reaching out to me, you are reconciled. And he gave her dignity. At the same time, a 12-year-old dies. And the message comes, leave Jesus alone, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. There's nothing we can do. And Jesus says, no, no, hold on, Not not so fast. He says, he's just shown something. He says, Jairus, just believe I need nothing from you. Just believe. Just trust. Just have faith. Same word there. Just, just have faith. And she will be well. Same, same, Sozo. She will, uh, she will be saved. Just have faith. She will be saved. And they go over to Jairus's house, and Jesus raises her from the dead. <coughs> What is what is faith if you had to if you had to summarize faith in a sentence, i'm going to tell you often i do ask you questions to answer today it's just rhetorical because I'm, I'm just going to tell you what it is i want you to remember mine not everyone else's faith is counting on jesus at, at its like smallest if you could just remember one if you're going to get something tattooed what is faith it's counting on jesus for what for everything always all of the time in the good and the bad. Sometimes we think faith only works in suffering situations. We need faith in the good times. Why? Because in the good times, we're prone to forget God. We need to count on Jesus when things are going really well, and we need to count on Jesus when things are not. But faith is counting on Jesus. And then lastly, the need for patience. The importance of faith, and now the need for patience. I think sometimes we often treat God like a genie, and we're willing to test out prayer with something like, <laughs> um, I prayed for this. I mean, I spent most of my youth praying for a, a quad bike. I never got it, and based, uh, God's, I based God's power in my life on the arriving or non-arriving of the quad bike, and I was very confused about God's character and nature because He never gave me this quad bike, and so whenever someone would be like, just pray for, the, pray for you know, God says just... Jesus says, ask what you need, and your Father knows what you need, and, you know, and it's like, well, I'm not 100% sure that He's listening. Uh, the reality is, um, we treat Him in our hearts sometimes like that, sometimes not so overtly, but we get quickly disappointed when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want Him to. I love what Tim Keller says, uh, that God answers our prayers the way um, we would have asked them if we knew everything God knows. He kind of takes our prayers, and He perfects them for us, and then He answers that prayer. In other words, God's always answering our prayers, uh, and, and when we're praying, uh, we can kind of just go for it, because God can kind of perfect our prayers. And so, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, he says, God works all things to the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. God works all things. But this, all things can take time. If you've ever seen someone like an artist work on a painting or uh, uh, a a craftsman like make something out of wood, it's like incredibly frustrating. Because they, they see something you don't see and all you see is them taking a really long time to do nothing. Right? A craftsman's like rubbing his hands across the wood And then just standing back and looking at things and you're just like would you just cut something nail something glue something what's they're feeling the grain they can tell you like what what grade sandpaper needs to be used they could see what varnish is going to be absorbed properly into this type of wood they're thinking about a gazillion things that they're making this into and, and it's frustrating. God turns all things to the good of those who love Him and seek to do His will, but sometimes it takes a lot of time. God's working in our lives, and it takes a lot of time. And, and we would often not choose the things that God uses in our lives. And so there can, can be days and weeks and months which, which can be quite confusing. There can be seasons of our lives, years of our lives, that, that are very confusing, that are very hurtful. where where pain reigns, and we say, God, where are You? But if the importance of faith, counting on Jesus, we can can say, "I, I don't understand, but I know I can count on You. I can't see where this is going, but I know I can count on You, and You will turn this to good. And so, I choose to trust You. Give me patience, please. I love that patience is a fruit of the Spirit because I know that I don't have any of it. Um, And I'm not not being humble. You can ask my family. They can affirm. I have no patience. But I do have the Holy Spirit. So if I'm lacking patience and you're lacking patience, we can ask of the Holy Spirit to grow patience in us and we can surprise ourselves to see patience in our lives to cling to Jesus when we in our own strength couldn't. And for Jesus' story to unfold... And for us to just stay clinging to the corner of His garment until he, he comes through and we understand what He's doing. And so, is it a coincidence? I, I don't know. Is it a coincidence that, you know, Luke, Luke draws out this 12-year-old girl and there's a woman that has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Is, is it just a coincidence or is Luke kind of saying that, like, God has the story unfolding. It's been building up for 12 years And on the day that Jesus comes to town, the woman who's had a problem for 12 years is going to be healed, and the 12-year-old is going to die on the same day, and Jesus is going to raise her from the dead. God's been planning something for 12 years in this story. I kind of lean towards that side, that it's it's probably not a coincidence, as much as God is way cleverer than I can imagine, and God is way ahead of me. God is way more loving and complex. So Jesus has power over nature and demons, disease and death itself. Jesus says all we need to do is count on Him, trust Him, cling to Him. And as life unfolds, we need to have patience. We need to see what He does. I'm going to embarrass my my son's friend again. Because I, I just want to say this, when, when Zeke went into high school, I remember Nas and I in year seven, feeling like we were sending our only son, our only begotten son, <laughs> into the world to go and be crucified, and we knew that God understood how that felt. And so we clung to God and we said, God, we believe that we are the light of the world. We believe that we enter these spaces to bring the goodness of God. But he's only 12, 13, whatever he was. I think 12. He's so young. Please look after him. Please protect him. Please provide another friend. Please, God, come through for him. And you've met Theo, who, who comes every now and then, who loves Jesus. And they've found each other. And recently, Josh and Zeke have met, and they're walking with Jesus and forming a faith. And there's this tiny little band of Christian brothers who have found each other. And we just stand back and say, God, I mean, your seven would have been great, but we'll take your nine. We'll take it. Watch what God does, but are we trusting Him, or are we making our own way? Are we making sure we feel safe and comfortable, or are we saying, God, we feel like lambs led to the slaughter, but you are going to glorify yourself one way or another. Please help us hold on. Please help us be patient. There were two sisters, true story, Each one got married. The one sister and her husband tried for many years to have a baby, um, but were unsuccessful, and they tried all the various means that modern day uh, gives us, and they were just unsuccessful. And they were in great pain. They were greatly discouraged and felt quite hopeless. The other sister um, fell pregnant and uh, went to hospital when it was time for the baby to be born. And this hus- this husband and, and sister came to the waiting room. I don't know if any of you, uh, if we do that anymore over here, but, but it's quite a thing in America. You go and, and kind of your community comes and waits for you in a waiting room. Um, I remember, uh, I know we did it for Josh and Anna over here up in Joondalup, waiting for Eden to be born. I was pretty sure I heard Anna screaming, in the hospital. Um, I pre- I'm pretty sure I knew when Eden came out. Um, but but fam- family and friends, I remember when Zeke was born, there were about 50 people in the waiting room just sitting there waiting to meet him. Um, and they were there in the waiting room waiting to meet this beautiful girl while at the same time uh, experiencing their own absolute pain that they couldn't have a child. And, and as they sat there, they decided that they uh, would They would open up their home to foster and adopt children if God would uh, give an opportunity for that three months later, a little girl needed a home um, and and came into theirs as a foster child to later on be adopted her this little girl 's mother had been incarcerated, and so uh, they got to foster her and, and like I said later adopt her and then a little bit after that, there were twin twins that needed to be fostered to be adopted later on and and so they had them, and so chaos reigned in their house. They went from no children to three children, um, all foster-adopted into their home. And um, when the first little girl turned six, they decided with this sister to have a combined birthday party because the, the cousins were, were twinses, twinsies. They were, they were born on the same day, um, amazingly, and so they decided to have this uh, combined celebration of these two children And at the birthday party. Um, the brother-in-law came and gave them a photograph, and they looked as they looked at it. They, it was a photograph of them sitting in the waiting room when their niece was being born. And the brother-in-law said, um, "Put it together for them. While you were sitting there, your little girl was being born in the exact same hospital at the exact same time, just in a corridor down." from where you were sitting little did you know at the time that your daughter was being born little did you know that you were in the waiting room for your little girl we count on jesus and we wait and we watch and we trust Because of Jesus, a 12-year-old girl didn't die, but was raised to life that day. And a father didn't have to bury his daughter because Jesus came to town. And because Jesus came to town, Beatrice, who was considered unclean, was healed and restored to community and to God. And she was raised to a position of dignity, a woman who carried the testimony of God's favor over her life, favor and blessing. For 12 years, no one would go near her. For the rest of her life, she would be known as the woman and recorded in in, uh, Scripture. For the last 2,000 years, she's been held up in dignity as the woman who reached out and counted on Jesus, who for 12 years didn't see God's goodness in any way. And Right at the end, after the school is raised to life, Jesus says a surprising thing. He tells them not to go and tell anyone what has happened. Jesus doesn't want the good news to be diminished down to this message of some sort of voodoo magic Messiah who runs around just doing miracles if you do the right things, if you beg enough, if you sacrifice enough, if you hold on tight enough, you you get some sort of miracle and, and wonder from Him. Jesus wanted the good news of ultimate salvation, the good news of ultimate rising to life. He wanted our focus to be on Him and what He was doing, not on these kind of these miraculous moments. So what has He done And our land? And Joshua will lead us into communion. He has received the just wrath of God against sin in our place. Jairus didn't have to bury his daughter that day, but primarily what was going on is Jesus showing that God, in her place and in his place and in the woman's place and in all of our place, God was going to pour his wrath against our sin out on his own son. And Jesus died in our place and he entered our death so that He could be raised to life, so that He could raise us to life, so that He could call call us to life, so He could say over His disciples that He has all authority in heaven and earth, so that He could pronounce His comprehensive power over nature and demons, over disease and over death, so that He could say, come to me and come to the Father in my name. What do you bring? He says, you bring nothing, just count on Jesus. Just count on me. It's done. And Luke 8 ends up being the small picture of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' comprehensive power over nature, it eludes slightly, there's almost faint glimpses of a new heaven and a new earth under Jesus' rule and authority, where the storms of life don't rock our boats, but His kingship keeps a constant calm and peace. A kingdom that's coming, And is present, but not yet yet fully. A place where evil is non-existent and is uh, telling the pigs, uh, telling the demons where to go. The kingdom is going to be a place where evil does not exist. Where only the goodness of God's presence exists. Where there is peace in the presence of God. Where there's no sickness or suffering, where Jesus' comprehensive authority over disease is displayed in joy and health and gladness, no sadness and sorrow and suffering, together in the community, in God's presence. And then lastly, where there's no death, but only eternal life where there will be no mourning, where there will be no funerals, where there will be no weeping over lost ones, but where there will only be eternal life and joy and celebration in His presence. And that has already begun for us. For those who believe in Christ, who cling to Christ, who count on Christ, it is already yours. That's why Jesus is saying, don't go till this stuff I'm going to talk about this stuff because there's a greater message. It's all already yours in Jesus, but not fully yet. We might still have to pass a physical death to get to eternal life, and we may not. Let's hope Jesus returns. We may still face suffering before we see the end of suffering, but in those moments we can count that Jesus will turn it to the good of those who love Him and seek to do His will. And are called according to His purposes. We may still encounter and have to push back darkness. We are the light of the world, and we push back darkness, and we go out into the world to call other people in, and, and the force, the, the, uh, the, the power of God pushes it working in us. We push against evil. It may, it may still be a war, a battle to fight, even though de- uh, Jesus has already defeated Satan on the cross. The message is this: Jesus has comprehensive power over all things. Jesus has taken the wrath of God in our place. Jesus has died in our place. And Jesus has raised to life to take His authority and to call us to himself, to himself, and to speak over us the words that He spoke over the woman: Daughter, son. Counting on me has saved you. Now live in peace. Today, daughter, son, whoever you are, whatever you're struggling with, count on Jesus. Josh will, in a second, tell you what this is all about. If you don't know Jesus, count on Jesus. If you do know Jesus, count on Jesus. Let's experience His peace hold on to him in patience and see how he works into our lives and through our lives for God's glory and our good let me pray